is almost here. And for you, that might mean swimming and barbecues, but for us pediatricians, it means our patients will soon be coming in with infected bug bites, swimmer's ear, sunburns, and one other thing that I'm not quite ready to mention in a polite show introduction. When I worked in the emergency department, summer brought near drownings and falls from open windows, but compared to the fevers, sinus, and ear infections we've seen for the past year, I gotta tell you, I am ready for summer. And I wanna get your family ready to have fun this summer and not visit the doctor's office or the emergency room. So here it is, my guide to avoiding the doctor's office this summer so you can have fun. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. Let's start with swimmer's ear. It can be very mild or it can be really, really gross. And by really gross, I mean the inside of the ear canal can be so swollen or full of debris that it's hard to get ear drops in. So please don't let it get that bad. Here's the scenario. Your child says their ear hurts. It could be water in the ear, it could be pressure from swimming too deep, or it could be an infection that needs antibiotics. In the simplest terms, there are two kinds of ear infections. You can get an infection of the skin lining the ear canal, like you know that part that you can stick a Q-tip into, but don't put anything in your ear ever. Or you can get an infection on the other side of the eardrum. So if you look down the ear canal, you can see the eardrum and the infection is on the other side. And the infection will put pressure on the eardrum and that's what hurts. Here's my pearl for you. If your child has pain when you wiggle the ear or if you put pressure on that flap of skin that's in front of the ear canal, that's called the tragus, then you can be pretty sure they have an external ear infection also known as swimmer's ear. Your child will probably need antibiotic eardrops and the drops have to touch the skin inside the canal in order to treat the infection. So you're gonna to need to see a doctor to get medication and instructions on how to do that. But there are tons of ways to prevent swimmer's ear by keeping the ears dry. So if your kid complains of feeling like there's water in their ear, this is what you wanna have on hand. You can buy swimmer's eardrops at the pharmacy or you can mix half white vinegar and half rubbing alcohol and put a few drops in each ear after swimming. The alcohol helps dry the water out and the acidity of the vinegar keeps bacteria from growing. But it's easier to buy the stuff at the pharmacy because it comes in the right kind of bottle. A lot of swimmers also like to use an ear dryer. It's like a little small portable hair dryer that they bring to the pool or lake or wherever with them. The only one I know of is called Max, M-A-C-K apostrophe S. And swimmers love this thing. They swear by it. Preventing problems is the key to a happy summer. So next up is bug bites. Bites are annoying and they can get infected if you scratch at them. But even more concerning is that more and more biting insects are carrying diseases. I know it seems sketchy to spray insect repellent on your kid's skin. That's why everybody is always trying to find, you know, natural solutions. The truth is that the diseases carried by insects scare me way more than the effects of insect repellent. So you have to weigh those risks. But honestly, insect repellents are extremely safe. It's fine to use DEET-containing products as young as two months of age, really. Just don't put insect repellent on a kid's hands because you don't want them to accidentally eat it or rub it in their eyes. 
And it's best to try and find a concentration of DEET that's 30% or less. 10% is going to be fine if you're only going to be outside for like an hour or two. And you'll want to choose something stronger like 20 or 30% if you're going to be outside for longer. Another option is to put insect repellent on your kids' clothing. You can buy a treatment to spray on their clothes, or there are companies like Insect Shield where you can mail their clothes to them and they'll treat them. The treatment's going to last like 70 washes if you mail it to the company compared to only lasting for like four to six washes if you use the home treatment. Military issue clothing actually comes pre-treated with this stuff. This is probably the most safe and the most effective prevention of bug bites but you need to know that it takes about two weeks turnaround time if you mail your clothing to the company. Although you can also buy pre-treated clothes. So go ahead and look for that online. You could also buy a bug zapper for your yard and that works great. But if your kids play anywhere else, your clothing is going to be the best option. And in terms of repellents, okay, there are three options. Let's get into the weeds here. So there's DEET, picaridin, and oil of lemon eucalyptus. Those are the three primary ingredients that you'll see in insect repellent. And you need to read the labels because ingredients really matter. The best option here is going to be proprietary brand of 3M Ultrathon. It's a micro-encapsulated DEET product. I have no idea what micro-encapsulated means, but I do know that this technology makes the DEET absorbed less by the skin and it lasts longer because it evaporates into the air more slowly. All right, now I'm going to nerd out. Each insect repellent works by acting on the insect's olfactory or smell receptors. The weird thing is that every type of insect has different receptors. So the same chemical is going to work differently on different insects. Some insects are turned off from biting you because the chemical binds a receptor so they can't smell you at all. Their smell is blocked. And some insect smell receptors make it smell bad instead of you smelling good. So... It's not a bad idea to maybe use two different chemicals because you're going to confuse every type of bug senses that way. That's why I like the idea of wearing bug repellent clothing and spraying a small amount of a product with something like DEET on any exposed skin areas like the neck and ankles. Picaridin-containing repellents are my second choice, only because they don't work on biting flies or chiggers. So it kind of matters where you're going to be to choose which repellent you want to use. The other consideration, though, is that DEET is oily and feels really annoying, whereas picaridin doesn't smell like anything, it's not greasy, and it doesn't damage synthetic fibers like spandex and plastic the way that DEET does. So if you're still into your spandex pants, you'll need to go with picaridin, which doesn't last quite as long as DEET. Oil of lemon eucalyptus is the other ingredient that you'll often see in repellents. It's plant-derived, so it may seem more natural, but it doesn't last very long, and you can't use it in kids under age three because it hasn't been tested. What about Avon Skin So Soft or botanical oils? They really don't work well. Skin So Soft works a little, but it doesn't work against ticks at all, which always makes me nervous. Plus, the active ingredient is something called IR3535, which that just doesn't really sound natural to me. Since DEET and picaridin are really, really safe, it's not worth using Skin So Soft. Other options are repellent bracelets, they don't work at all, and electronic repellent devices, which have been extensively researched and have been deemed the equivalent of snake oil. The bottom line is do not be afraid of insect repellents. They're really safe. They just sound gross or unnatural. 
The best option is going to be to have your kids wear clothes with permethrin on them and then spray their exposed skin with something containing DEET. And you'll choose the percentage of DEET depending on how long you're going to be outside. And if they hate the feeling of DEET, then use something with picaridin. Now you know how to read the labels. talked about insect repellents. And that reminds me that the other thing that doctors see a lot of in the summer are target-shaped bug bites because parents are always worried about Lyme disease. This is really important to know. The rash from tick bites that causes Lyme disease has a classic rash that looks like a target. And this rash is completely flat. It's not raised at all. It's not itchy. It's not painful. You will see other bug bite rashes that take on a target form and you're gonna freak out. But if it's raised up at all, or your child says it itches or it hurts, it is not erythema migrans, which is the rash you see in Lyme disease. It's very unlikely. Lots of bug bites can make a target-shaped mark on the skin. So you don't necessarily have to go running to the doctor if you see one while you're camping, but just keep it in mind. Now, let's talk about sunburn. No, I'm kidding. That's boring. Everybody knows about sunburns. Please just wear your sunscreen. Sunburns suck. Good. We're done. I'm skipping the obvious summer problems. How about instead I share a potpourri of weird summer ailments I want you to watch out for. Since we were talking about itching, let's talk about vaginitis. This is irritation of the vaginal area. Anything that ends in itis means irritation or inflammation. So iritis is inflammation of the iris of the eye. Cellulitis is skin inflammation. Endocarditis is inflammation of the inside of the heart. Meningitis is irritation of the meningeal layers surrounding the brain. And then there's vulvovaginitis. It's not uncommon in young girls who sit around in a wet bathing suit. You know how your fingers get wrinkled if you're in the bath too long? This is the same thing, but it's in the girl's sensitive area. The scenario is that your girl child will complain about pain when they pee, or they might be scratching at their private area. It's pretty rare for a kid to get a yeast infection or even a urinary tract infection, although I know that's what you're going to worry about first. It's way more likely they're going to have skin irritation. In order to differentiate this from a yeast infection, well, yeast infections should look really red on the skin. So before you head to the doctor, if you think your child's irritation could be from just plain old vaginitis, be sure to have them get out of their wet bathing suit soon after swimming and then have them take a bath with baking soda or Epsom salts. Then smear any diaper cream you've got all over their lady parts. We got to protect that skin. If it doesn't get better real quick, you can try using over-the-counter Lotrimin cream or ketoconazole, which is an antifungal and it's safe for even a girl's sensitive areas. My other tip here if you're traveling and you're worried your daughter has a UTI or a urinary tract infection, you can actually buy a test at the pharmacy. The over-the-counter UTI home test tests for two different things in the urine. It tests for leukocyte esterase and nitrites. Leukocyte esterase is made by your body's white blood cells. So if that one's positive, you know there are white blood cells in the urine, but this can be normal and it can just be from the outside of the skin. So be sure and clean the outside of the skin before peeing into a clean cup because you don't want to get contamination from the skin and then you'll get a false test result. On the other hand, if the other part of the test, the nitrites are positive on the test strip, 
it's pretty likely you are dealing with a real urinary tract infection. Nitrites are made by bacteria. So if they show up in a clean urine sample, that's a pretty reliable true sign. And it means you do need to see a medical person and might need treatment with an antibiotic. My very favorite weird summer ailment is a skin discoloration that fools most people into thinking they have a weird bruise. You can get spots on your skin that look brownish or like an old bruise. The most interesting stories of this skin thing are when they appear on little babies. I heard a story about a 10-month-old baby who had hand-shaped bruises around their torso. The family was actually reported to a child abuse pediatrician for an evaluation, but what this actually was is something called phytophotodermatitis. Ooh, yes, it's another itis. Dermatitis is inflammation of the skin. In this case, when the skin is exposed to some plant substances and then reacts with UVA rays in sunlight, it causes a skin reaction. I've only seen this happen from citrus juice, but exposure to celery, wild parsnip, and parsley and the sap of fig trees can all cause this weird reaction. In fact, my poor son, he was screwing around with the kefir limes from this specialty tree I have. You know, the leaves are used in Thai food. And the next morning when he woke up, he had these big handprints on his neck and the lower part of his face from the kefir lime juice. It reacted with sunlight. It lasted like five weeks before it faded away. Poor kid, he was so embarrassed. There are also some medications and sunscreens that can be activated by UVA light. So you can see some pretty weird rashes pop up in the summer from this. The clue is that you should only see the skin changes in areas of the body that weren't covered by clothing. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do for these kind of light eruptions, we call them. It makes sense that reactions related to increased sunlight would show up more in the summer months. So we see them a lot in clinic and in the emergency room. Early in summer, when the weather first gets good, some people have what we call a sun allergy. It's technically called polymorphous light eruption, but you know, it's like way easier to say sun allergy. It's probably an immune response to sunlight. It causes an itchy rash in an area of the skin that got sun, but it doesn't look like a sunburn. The rash goes away in a few days and it should get less severe as you're exposed to sun more during the sunny months. So as the summer goes on, it's going to happen less. And that's a process called hardening. Basically, your body gets used to sun exposure and it stops reacting so much. You can look up some pictures of sun allergy online just to get a sense of it's kind of blotchy and red. If you're on a summer vacation or a spring break and you see this rash, just treat it with some over-the-counter antihistamines or topical steroid cream. And you can listen to next week's episode for details on how to choose an antihistamine and which medications to take with you on vacation. Sunlight-related issues are big in the summer, but probably even more common is food poisoning. We see a lot of food poisoning from picnics and like big group barbecues. There's not a lot you can do about this except just like be aware. You should try to keep foods refrigerated until they're served and fully cook your meats. The worst case of what we call foodborne illness I saw was an entire family came into the emergency department one night because they all had tingling around their mouth and they were all vomiting and had diarrhea. It did not take very long to figure out what happened to them. So this Polynesian family had dinner about six hours before they came in and they had eaten a fish that was shipped to them in the mail from their family back home. 
And what this was, was ciguatera poisoning. You got to look this stuff up. It's pretty interesting. A toxin from a little organism that lives on coral reefs causes this. So that shouldn't be that hard for you to avoid, but keep an eye out for food poisoning. In next week's episode, I compare which medications and supplies I keep at home with another pediatrician. You definitely do not want to miss that episode. We're going to help you stock your home medicine cabinet and pack the essentials for your summer trips to help you avoid getting interrupted by illness on vacation. I'd love to hear your stories or questions about dealing with summer ailments. So send me a message on Instagram at the pediatrician next door. We can all learn from each other's experiences. For more from the pediatrician next door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.